0: Starting in Matthew seven twenty-eight, it says, And when, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed. And behold, the leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Then Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For for I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those that followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you. Many will come from east and west and recline a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Let's pray. God, we gather and we are once again grateful that we can do that with signs out front and doors unlocked and lights on and we can welcome anyone in. We are grateful for the extravagant way that you have welcomed us into your family. We're grateful that we have not been consumed in our sin by the Lion of Judah, but the Lamb of God who takes away the world came and took our sin and died in our place and rose again to new life and has given us new life. And we're grateful. Father, as we dive into your word now, as Sunday school classes dive into your word, we pray that your work would be done, that in each passage that is studied, that what you intend would be communicated and accomplished in the hearts and the minds and the lives of your people for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm a cat person. I mean, I'm okay with dogs, especially other people's dogs that are fun to play with. I enjoy them. I enjoy coming over and playing with them and leaving the food bill and the vet bill and all the rest behind with somebody else. Um, but I had, I had a cat growing up, and in little domestic cats, the, the crouching and the pouncing and the independence, I see vestiges of the big cats in that. I, my cat growing up... Um, would, would frequently bring little offerings back to the house. <laughs> Namely in the form of, of dead mice that were, you know, it was messy. And um, generally when mom shrieked somewhere in the house, I knew my cat had brought an offering back. And there was probably a little sinful pleasure in watching mom react. And there was much pleasure in knowing my cat did it. He can feed himself. He can even help feed me. This is awesome. And uh, I love that. And, and in that, it's the vestiges of the big cats that I like. I love the big cats. Sarah and I went to museum, uh, the museum, not the museum, the zoo. The, the, the lions are much better at the zoo than the museum. Um, we went to the, the zoo a few weeks ago, and, and uh, we, we had to make our way to the big cats. And I love the big cats. We were standing, the, the, the big cat was right on the other side of the glass, which is really the best way to look at the big cats up close. And he was just kind of lounging asleep and wagging his tail in the heat. And it was really kind of depressing. And all of a sudden he rolls over and he looks looks right at me and he yawns. And his mouth opened like, I don't know, my head probably fit. And it was awesome. And it was just a yawn of a cat behind thick glass. I can't imagine a roar. I don't know if you've ever been at the zoo when the lion roars. And if you're close... Like, you get shivers. It's incredible. Because a lion in its natural habitat, he's the king of the jungle. He has the authority and the power to do whatever he wants to. Cats are awesome. Well, it struck me as I've been studying the Sermon on the Mount that we often read that with a lot of filters. We read it with, uh, with filters that we should, but with filters that were not there for the original crowd. And the original crowd, when you see the reaction, you realize they heard the Lion of Judah roar. The Sermon on the Mount was not uh, mild suggestions. It wasn't, it'd be cool if you did this. The Sermon on the Mount is the Lion of Judah roaring in all his terrifying fury. And I want us to catch that. The, the, the folks that were there that watched and heard Jesus, that were utterly amazed at his authority, they heard him say all that he said before Good Friday, before Easter Sunday, before they understood that, that the full grace and mercy of God is expressed in Jesus. They heard these incredibly severe and difficult statements. The uncontained roar of a lion is terrifying when there's not that glass between you and the lion. And I want to peel back a few of our layers and help us hear some of Jesus' statements in the Sermon on the Mount uh, without the filters that we normally hear them through. They're severe. They're very hard. And and don't worry, I'm not abandoning the Lord's Supper and the cross and everything else. We're going to come back to it. But I think if we hear the lion lion roar at full volume, we will appreciate the Lamb of God who is slain for our sin all the more. And so I want to take some time this morning to do that. I have three goals for us this morning, three things I'd like us to see as we work through this passage. First of all, that we would hear the authority of Jesus. I want us to hear the lion roar. We want to hear the authority of Jesus. Second, we're gonna learn some things about faith, and we'll, we'll unpack this as we go through it, but we wanna see that in response to the lion's roar, we need a faith that recognizes the fact that Jesus' authority includes the right to decide what's gonna happen and the ability to carry it out. Both of those are come with Jesus' authority, and our faith needs to recognize both of those. And third, I want to see that, that that faith comes in understanding the chain of command that God decrees and creation obeys. That's the chain of command, and we need to see that to understand and to grasp the faith that we need to respond to the roaring lion. But let's dive into to our text. 7, 28, and 29 say, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is immediately after the Sermon on the Mount. And this is the reaction of the crowd that heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. There was a large crowd around as Jesus preached. Jesus directed the sermon at his disciples specifically. But there was a large crowd around that that heard it. And to be honest, this is where I think that our familiarity with Jesus and with this sermon do us a disservice. I asked you to read through the Sermon on the Mount uh, a few times, and if you didn't get to, that's okay. I'm still glad you're here. We still love you. You'll have another opportunity to do that. Uh, But I asked you to, to, to think through it as you read what if I take Jesus at his word right here? What happens if we pull back the filters that we apply and we take Jesus at his word and his statements in the Sermon on the Mount? I had a few reactions myself thought if I was not a believer and I read that and I took Jesus at his word, if I said, this is the real deal and this is true, as a non-believer without the work of the Spirit of God within me, to be honest, I think I'd walk away. That, that is impossible. The bar is way too high. There's no fun for my flesh in that. As a non-believer reading through Jesus' statements in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think I would put my eggs in the basket of Jesus. As a believer, reading through it, seriously saying, what if I took Jesus at his word right here? I'm left with a heaviness. This is huge. When you read through the Sermon on the Mount, taking Jesus at his words is devastating to my very Christian-looking selfishness. I have to live not for myself in ways that I can't even fathom if I actually obey Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm left wide-eyed and speechless reading Jesus' statements there. If this is what Jesus expects, if this is what he commands, if this is what he demands, I can't do it. Even as a believer, I'm clearly aware, I can't do that. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper at Jesus' command. And we do that to remember the fact that he is the Lamb of God who was slain for the sin of the world. And Mike, I appreciate the reminder to do it with joy because our sin has been dealt with and that's a wondrous thing and we should, we should be joyful. The good shepherd has brought us back to himself at his own expense. And when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we tend to bring all of that understanding to it which we should because we know all that about Jesus and we live when we do in history. But that original crowd, they didn't have that level of understanding about Jesus. They didn't bring all that to the table. They heard the sermon with very different ears than we normally do. They heard a severity in that sermon that I think we rarely fully do. They heard the lion roar. They heard the king of creation Give some pretty severe demands. And I want to help us do that. So I have put some of Jesus' statements in very blunt, severe, modern language to help us clear away a little bit of the clutter that, that we bring to the table. Um, and as we listen to these, we know that Jesus has made us right with himself. But let the impact hit, hear the, ro- the lion roar. These are, this is my wording for some of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, be sure to tell others how great it is to be persecuted. It's a joy. Pass the word on. You're tempted to look at my daughter wrong? You should probably go ahead and cut your eye out because that'll be better for you. Somebody took advantage of you? That's rough. But you see that part they missed? Be sure and give that to them as well oh, you kind of like the things of this world, huh? I made some pretty nice stuff. Well, you might as well enjoy it because you're not going to get me. Jesus said that. That hurts. How dare you worry? He said, shame on you. I made you. You're mine. Don't you think I'm going to take care of you? You want to walk with me, Jesus said. It's a tight squeeze in. It's a hard road up. And a lot of you aren't going to make it. Hi, what's your name? Nice to meet you. Oh, you did a lot of wonderful things for me. Thank you. But you can go now because I don't know you. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. That is severe. And when, when we peel back The layer of Good Friday and Easter Sunday that we put over the the Sermon on the Mount, we hear the lion roar, and it's scary. To make matters worse, these statements that are so hard for us to hear unfiltered like that, that original crowd that heard them unfiltered, they didn't take them as the words of a lunatic. They heard authority, and they were amazed. They heard demands to be reckoned with, not hot air from some two-bit teacher that was here today and gone tomorrow. That crowd was stunned. And if we join them and we really take Jesus at his word and we hear him say, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If we take Jesus at his word with that statement, how does that sit? To be honest, it scares me. The unfiltered sermon on the mount scares me. When Jesus finished these sayings, The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This isn't a comment about Jesus' teaching style. He's really winsome. That's not what they're saying. The crowd recognized authority. They were stunned. They heard the lion roar, and they didn't know what to do with it. They had never heard that before. You could probably hear a pin drop when Jesus finished. They didn't know about the cross yet. Hi, what's your name? You said you did a bunch of good stuff in my name. Thank you. But you can leave now because I don't know you. That's coming from the only judgment seat that matters. Spoken by the only judge that matters. And the people that heard that first recognized Jesus' authority. And we're stunned. When we hear that, when we join them, when we hear the Lion of of Judah roar at full volume, what do we do? What's the right response? When you come face to face with that kind of authority, what do we do? Thankfully, Matthew records an illustration and an explanation of the kind of faith that is the right response. To that roaring lion. We're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning looking at the second point: faith in Jesus illustrated. And we're going to start that now. Um, so don't be concerned as the clock progresses and the chapters don't, the verses don't. Uh, we'll have to do kind of a cursory read at the second section, but we're going to spend the bulk of our time in the first one here. Uh, but chapter one, verses sorry, chapter eight, verses one and two say. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, the leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The stunned crowds followed Jesus down the mountain. I mean, I'm not sure what else you could possibly do. I don't think you can walk away from what you just heard and saw. Even if you don't believe, even if you're not moving towards Jesus, I don't think you can just walk away. And the crowds followed Jesus down the mountain. But there was one, one among the crowd that actually moved toward Jesus. And he didn't just walk with Jesus. He moved towards Jesus. And he fell on his knees in front of Jesus. What the leper is doing here is completely taboo. The law prohibited him from being around others who were not also leprous. But the context in the Bible would make it seem that He was among those who had heard Jesus. He was among the stunned crowd who heard the lion roar. He'd probably heard stories about Jesus, that healer from Galilee, that can make things right when they're wrong. And he heard Jesus. And I imagine as he listened to Jesus, he is sitting there looking down at his skin that's falling off and looking at the the big space around him because nobody would come close and and he's listening to Jesus and and he realizes he's the real deal. Jesus is the owner of all of this and he can make this and he can make this right. He realizes that and when Jesus comes down the mountain he moves to Jesus and he falls on his knee. And there's two parts to the faith in his expression that I want us to catch. First, he recognizes that Jesus has the freedom to heal or not to heal. Lord, if you will. Second, he recognizes that Jesus has the ability to heal. You can make me clean, he says. Jesus, if you want to, I know that you can heal me. That faith is the right response to the authority of Jesus when we hear the lion roar, saying, "It's up to you, Jesus," but I know you can, is the right response. The decision rests with Jesus. The ability rests with Jesus. You know where else we hear this exact faith coming from the words of, Je- of the, coming from the mouth of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? It says, "Abba." Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. At that moment, God the Son knows that God the Father has the authority. And he arrives saying, God, it's completely up to you, but I know you can. And God's choice was that Jesus would indeed walk through the torment and suffering of the cross and of the wrath of God poured out on him in our place. That was the faith of Jesus at that moment. Put yourself in the leper's shoes. I was trying to do that this week and really struggling to, and then I read an article about the Ebola virus. Ebola virus, and I realized that's it. Imagine walking around DeKalb with the Ebola virus and no medical care available. Your neighbors would kick you out. They don't want you anywhere near. They'd kick you out of your house. You'd get fired from your job because you couldn't be, be near anyone. You wouldn't be able to go to a store to buy food. You wouldn't be able to go to a soup kitchen to get food. You wouldn't be able to go to homeless shelter to live. You would have nothing. You would have no hope. There's no cure. You have nothing. And that was the leper's life. And suddenly... You're here with the Ebola virus, and you realize that right over there, well, not actually over there, that's Tony, but, you know, imagine. Over there is Jesus, and he can make this right. He can can heal me, and I can be restored to family and friends and work and food. Jesus can do that. He has that ability. And we know that. In moving towards Jesus, we know he has that ability. But the question that this story pushes us to is whether our faith includes the certainty that it is Jesus' decision whether to heal or not. That's what this story pushes us to. Will our faith, will my faith remain intact if Jesus says no? If I truly believe in the authority of Christ and realize the decision to act is his then my faith is is placed in Jesus regardless of the outcome but if my faith is in the fact that he can and my life can get better then i'm not actually catching the authority of Christ when you hear the lion roar when your ears are still ringing you don't tell the lion what to do. You know that he gets to decide. I'm stunned by the humble faith of this broken leper. Would a no crush my faith? If I was in his shoes, would I actually submit the decision to Jesus as well? Or would I arrive with an agenda? Some of you have faced this moment in ways that I have not, and I have marveled at your faith as I've watched you walk through, and I've praised God that he can do that, that he does, in fact, grant a faith that trusts and that worships regardless of the outcome. And I watch that, and, and I praise God, and I wonder, what if I face that moment? In, and my uncertainty makes my heart beat fast and my eyes widen. And I say, Please, Jesus, let it be so. But it's not in me. I can't do that on my own. I will say that absolutely trusting Jesus with the decision does not mean that we don't humbly express our preference. Jesus even did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Lord, If possible, could you have this cup pass? And he expressed his preference, but he was completely open-handed to let God the Father do as he knew was best. And so, as we recognize the authority of Christ, and as we come to him and submit both the decision and the ability to him, we can express our preference but there's a fine line between open-handedly expressing a preference and saying, God, do this, you need to do this. Verse three, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean, and immediately his leprosy was cleaned. Jesus said yes. Jesus said yes, and the man who had leprosy was instantly healed, there was nothing left. He could now be with people, he could move back home, he could see his family, he could see his friends, he could buy food in the market, he could worship God in the temple. Jesus said yes, and when Jesus says it, he has all the resources necessary to make it happen in an instant. The decision and the ability come with the authority of Jesus. Verse 4 And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Don't make a spectacle, Jesus said. Go worship God. Go show them what it means to submit to the lion of Judah. Worship God. Brothers and sisters, We have to be perfectly clear that this account is not a promise from God that he always responds to this kind of faith in the affirmative. When God says no, it isn't a sign that our faith was lacking. When God says no, it means that he exercised his sovereign right to choose. That comes with his authority. And so I have to encourage you to not see in this account a model to follow to get your yes because God can say no whenever he chooses to. He is God, and that is what we have to reckon to reckon with. I grew up in Mexico, for those of you that didn't know, and the church that I was at for kind of much of my um, middle school, junior high, high school years uh, was on a really main road. It was... The road was four to six lanes each direction, depending on traffic patterns. Uh, People would sometimes follow the line, sometimes not. So you never knew how many lanes there were going to be. And then on either side of that was a service road. Uh, that was roughly a lane with parallel parking on either side, sometimes two lanes with parallel parking. Um, But our church was on that road, and there was no parking lot. So the cars just parked up and down for quite a ways. And um, there had been a string of car break-ins and robberies in in this part of town and along this road uh, for quite a while, and the police finally stepped up presence. Um, After one evening service, a Wednesday or Sunday, I don't know which one, some of my buddies—I was in sixth grade at this point, by the way. I should say I was not like 18. Um, I was in sixth grade, and we were playing some sort of hiding or keep-away game or something. I don't know what it was, but— we were split up and we're kind of running up and down and, and crouching and hiding behind these cars and using the darkness and, and hiding from each other. And, you know, when, when you see your friend coming, you get right by the tire so that he can't see your, your feet if he looks under the car. And, and we're doing this, and, and there's two of us. I'm with, with one of my buddies, and we're squatting down, hiding in the dark between some cars, when all of a sudden we hear a bunch of squealing tires. And before we know what is going on, there is literally a SWAT team surrounding us with machine guns pointing at us. And us two sixth graders are looking up at like eight or 10 officers in full tactical gear, staring down the business end of machine guns, like eight machine guns. It's the closest I've ever come to needing fresh underwear. And uh, they start barking orders, hands up, kneel down, don't move, be quiet. Little Jeffy obeyed in a hurry. There was no negotiating. There was no talking. There was no, it's okay, I'm an American. None of that came up. I just obeyed. And one of the buddies that was part of the game we were playing that was not with us, he, he sees all the commotion and he starts, I, 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 out of the corner of my eye, I see him kind of walking up the sidewalk and he sees us surrounded by all these cops and just stops and his eyes get big as saucers. And he takes one step forward and he turns around and runs away. <laughs> I'm like, buddy, what's going on? Thankfully, he had gone to the church to get a motherly type and bring her out. And, and she walks out and see what's going on. And she just starts yelling at the police officers and telling them we're not the thieves and she should let us go and go get the real thieves and, and so on. And so they finally listened to her and, and they let us go. And uh, we... Walked back to the church and you know, I was trembling and I'm sure pale as all get out and scared stiff, but you know, I was a cool sixth grader so I didn't want anybody to know this. So I'm really trying to wish the color back into my face and I put my hands in my pocket so nobody can see that I'm shaking like a leaf and um, walk back into the crowd and I'm looking for my parents who were not in the crowd. They were in a meeting. And uh, so we get in the car to, to drive home, and I'm like, I, I, I wonder, do, do they know? Do I say something? I mean, I didn't actually do anything wrong, but I was staring at like eight machine guns for a few minutes. I don't know. And so we got most of the way home, and it was a pretty quiet car ride because I was certainly not talking. And Dad says, so, I hear you had an encounter with the police. <laughs> and he, he just lets it hang. And I'm a rule follower, and so if you just kind of say a statement like that and let it hang, whatever I did is going to come out. It just kind of naturally does. And so I explained, and you know, there was, I didn't do anything wrong, so there, I wasn't in trouble or anything. Um, but it's a funny story to look back at. And I will say this. That day, I encountered authority. I was face-to-face with authority, and I was not about to tell those cops what they should do or shouldn't do. I was not about to, to express my opinion on the matter. They said, be quiet, kneel down, hands up. I did, end of story. There's two aspects to the faith that's the right response to Jesus' authority. It recognizes that the decision on what to do fully belongs to him. That SWAT team decided what I was going to be doing and what I wasn't going to be. I just obeyed. And recognizing the authority of Jesus includes the fact that whichever decision Jesus makes, he has the ability to do what he chooses. Those police officers could let me go, which thankfully they did, or they could have not let me go. At some point while I'm kneeling there, I had the thought, God, I'm totally going to grow up in a Mexican prison now. I'm glad that didn't happen. That was their choice, and if they had chosen to do that, they probably could have made it happen. The legal system was a little questionable. That's true faith, recognizing that both the decision, the right to make the decision, whatever the outcome is, and the ability to carry it out rest with Jesus. When we hear the lion roar as that crowd did when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, that faith is the right one. When Jesus says, go, go tell folks how wonderful persecution is, it's not my place to say, well, can we talk about that, Jesus? Because I, I don't totally agree. So can we discuss this a little bit? When Jesus says go, we go. And the wonderful thing about the authority of Christ is that whatever he decides we are to do, as we go, he provides everything that we need. This is his world, he owns it. If he's gonna send Ron and Jen to Canada, he's gonna provide for them to go. If he's gonna send a team to check, he's gonna provide for them to go. If he's gonna give you a difficult boss, I'm not speaking from experience on that one. Um, He's going to give you what you need to endure. Whatever Jesus decides is going to be our lot. He has every resource that we need to obey. And the authority of Christ is both of those. We need to recognize both of those. Matthew wants to make sure that we get this. And so, not only does he illustrate it, he explains it for us, too. And at some point, yesterday evening, I realized that I had a whole sermon on just the third point, and so I had to severely cut it down, because we don't have enough coffee makers for y'all. Um, and so, I am, we don't have time to walk through the story of the centurion as, as thoroughly as we did the story of the leper, but I'm going to read it, and I want to pull out um, a, few, a few truths about faith for us. And he says this, starting in verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant's lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and I'll heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am, an, am a man under authority with soldiers under me and I say to one go and he goes and to another one come and he comes and to my servant do this and he doesn't When Jesus heard this he marveled and said to those who followed him Truly I tell you with no one in Israel have I found such faith I tell you many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the, to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. After the leper comes this centurion. Uh, Centurion was an officer in the Roman army, and it was was a pretty broad term, so it actually represented multiple levels of officers in the army. Uh, But they were all officers, which meant two things, that there was someone giving them commands, and there were others that they were commanding. You get orders, and you give orders. You get resources, you give resources. That's a chain of command. Pretty much every functional military works that way sometimes better than others. But that's a chain of command. And so this centurion comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I've got a a servant, he's paralyzed, he's sick. Jesus says, all right, let's go, I'll heal him. And the centurion says, I do not deserve to have you in my house. Which, by the way, if, if Jesus operated from a worldly perspective, the centurion kinda did deserve to have Jesus at his house from the, fe- from the point that he would have been the wealthy man of influence. And uh, the centurion realizes that doesn't count for anything in God's economy. I don't deserve to have Jesus in my house. So the centurion says, I don't deserve to have you come. You don't need to come to my house. Just give the command and he'll be healed. I know how the system works. There's people that give me commands, and there's people that I give commands to. You don't need to be in the house for this to happen. When Jesus preached, the people were stunned. That's the, what we read a few verses ago. But now it's Jesus' turn to be stunned. He marvels at this centurion's faith. He tells his disciples that were with him and the crowd that was still following, if there was still a crowd, he says, this This is the best faith I've ever encountered. This is the best faith I've ever encountered. Doesn't that make you curious about it? That made me want to know more about it, which is why I had a whole sermon that I don't get to preach right now. It's an amazing account, but I want to to zoom in on verses 9 and 10 and spend a few minutes there. He says, For I, too, am am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he doesn't. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. The faith that responds rightly to the roaring lion is explained for us here. And it's actually really simple and incredibly hard. This is the key to the faith that Jesus is so pleased in. You ready? It's very simple. Chain of command. Chain of command. The centurion, as an officer in the army, understood the chain of command. You get orders, you give orders. The only way to respond rightly to the roaring lion is to understand and embrace the fact that he is the one giving the orders. This isn't a conversation this isn't a debate. There's no negotiating. The lion gives the orders, we respond in faith. It's as simple as that. When the chain of command is working properly, the one who gives the orders also possesses and unleashes all the resources necessary to carry out the orders. So whatever the officer up, up top says needs to happen, the one down below receives the resources needed to make it happen, and he dispenses the resources so that it can happen. The one being commanded, he doesn't negotiate, he doesn't suggest alternatives, he doesn't talk through options, he obeys. Stunning faith, the faith that Jesus marveled at, recognizes our place in the chain of command. Jesus is the commander in chief, period. There's two tiers to God's chain of command. There's God, and there's creation. And that's it. There is God, and there is creation. And the centurion got that, and Jesus was stunned. We're creation, we're not God. And when we hear the, ro- the lion roar, when the lion says, it is a blessing to be persecuted, go go help folks understand how great it is it's not for us to say well uh, i don't know i'm i'm kind of doing pretty good right now and i'm doing this thing over here so can i do that later that that's not a faith response to the authority of king jesus the faith response to the authority of king jesus says I'd rather not have to be persecuted, God. But if that's your decision, if that's where you're going to take me, I'm going to trust you to give me what I need along the way, and I'm going to go do it now. That is faith. That is how we respond when we hear the Lion of Judah roar. We obey. The chain of command is about obedience and authority. All the authority is God's, the obedient, obedience is ours. End of story. It's hard. It's simple, but it's hard. There is no good faith. There is no God-pleasing faith without obedience. The faith that Jesus is impressed with here isn't one of, of warm fuzzies for Jesus. It is one of obedience. When Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do, we say, okay. The centurion realized whatever ails my servant is a part of your creation, and you're God, and all this is yours, so you can fix it without even going. You can just make it right, because you're God and we're creation. You don't have to go. I know how the system works. I don't actually have to be present for my soldiers to be doing what I told them to do. I give the command, and they do it. I don't have to be present. This is your world, Jesus. You don't have to be present to heal my servant. And just to prove that, yeah, this is in fact Jesus' world, and no, nope, I don't have to be present, he did a remote control healing, and the servant was healed. That's the God that we come to. So let's wrap this up. These, these accounts are not formulas. Do this, and God will do that. We cannot treat them that way. In fact, that's the exact opposite of the point of this passage. I mentioned earlier three goals for this morning that we would see three things in this passage that we would hear the authority of Jesus, that we would hear the roar of the lion, that we would see that faith recognizes that Jesus' authority includes both the right to decide and the ability to carry it out. And third, that we would see that that this faith comes from understanding the chain of command. God decrees, creation obeys. It's as simple as that. God decrees, creation obeys. One of the amazing things about God is that he is able to turn and to use even our disobedience and rebellion to accomplish his purposes. That's one of the fabulous takeaways of the story of Joseph. He was gonna be killed, he was enslaved, he was in jail, he was number two in command of the mightiest country in the world at the time. And at the end of his days, he looks back at it and he says, brothers, you, you wanted to enslave me, you wanted to kill me but what you meant for evil, God meant for good, that many people would be saved. Even when we rebel, even when others rebel against God, against us, when we suffer the pain and the consequences of others' rebellion, even that is under the authority of Christ. Even that. When we are dealing with the consequences of our own rebellion when we've made decisions that we shouldn't have and and the consequences of that roll on for, for months or years or decades. Even that is under the authority of Christ and that's not gonna derail what he intends to accomplish. God redeems, God redeems. I was struck as I went through this when when I was working through the Sermon on the Mount and feeling the weightiness and hearing kind of the unfiltered roar of the lion. And and there were there were many moments when I, I would come to the passage and I would just stop. I couldn't move on. I didn't know what to say. I, I was stunned to silence. But I remember thinking, I need my brothers and sisters. I cannot respond without my brothers and sisters. God is so good to have given us a family of faith to do this with. We cannot do it alone. We cannot do it alone. We need each other. And I'm grateful for you, KBC. I'd ask you to read the Sermon on the Mount because this is the faith with with which we're to respond to the Sermon on the Mount. What pierced you as you read it? Where did you hear the lion roar? What does faith look like in response to what God convicted you of? I challenge you and encourage you to go back to the Sermon on the Mount this week. Read through it with these three things in mind. Don't soften it up. Let the full authority with which Jesus spoke those words, unfiltered, just blow you over. Realize that your response to that authority is to trust Jesus' decision and to trust his provision for it. And realize and embrace your place in the chain of command. God commands, creation obeys. It's as simple as that. There is no Jesus-pleasing faith without obedience. Hearing the lion roar I've noticed this week makes the rest of who Jesus is shine all the brighter. I know there's been a lot of heaviness in this sermon and a lot of, of uh, soul-searching and of fear that can come up in that. And I'm actually okay with that because we realize that our failure to respond rightly to the roaring lion is precisely what makes the Lamb of God so precious. And we realize that the unknowns of the implications of taking Jesus at his word, when we say, that's hard. I'm, I'm gonna try to do that, but I have no idea what's gonna happen. That moment is what makes Emmanuel, God with us, so precious. Because in the, in the, in the midst of the unknown, Jesus is with you. The roaring lion is actually on your side. As a child of God. And the fear of the implications of taking Jesus at his word. We don't know what's going to happen. There are so many unknowns that are scary to us, or maybe there are knowns that are very scary to us. And in the midst of that fear, we find that the Prince of Peace is oh so precious. And the, the attributes, the characteristics of God shine all the brighter when we don't mute them. Let the lion roar. Cherish the lamb of God. Embrace Emmanuel. Walk with the prince of peace. And worship the lion of Judah as you do that. Let's pray. Father, uh, I come to you convicted. I come to you uh, startled by this passage Uh, and we come to you recognizing that we we desperately need to grow in our understanding of the Lamb of God of Emmanuel of the Prince of Peace and very much so we need to grow in our understanding of the roaring lion of Judah God I pray that you would not let us uh, domesticate the lion pray that you would not let us muzzle him pray that you would bring us back to your word and that we would be absolutely blown over by the authority that is yours. And I pray, I pray, God, in the process that you would make us a body that responds with the faith that we see in the leper, with the faith that we see in the centurion. Make us like them, God. Cause us to trust your decision. Cause us to trust your your ability to provide Cause us to live in our proper place in the chain of command. Make us obedient for your glory and honor and in all of it, cause us to cherish you and worship you better. In Jesus' name, amen.